Yeah, so firstly, thank you guys for sharing uh, about what you all got from the class, from the time here. It's really interesting for me because it sounds like between everything that you guys shared, you kind of constructed a picture about the right way to practice. It's almost like each one of you kept a certain little piece of it. And when you all shared, it kind of came together and it felt really nice and balanced. So that's just, yeah, it's really nice to see that people took the element that really resonated with them. And I think that's kind of the point. And going back to this question of, you know, well, you say to relax and enjoy and not to be so strict on yourself, but you kind of do need to set a structure, you need to practice, you know. But if you do that, then if you don't do it, then you also have to be okay with it. So kind of that whole, the non-doing, doing kind of attitude. And also this question about music, do you play music when you meditate or not? And also about if there's the right time to meditate. So all of these questions come back to kind of the individual. And the kind of secret is, is that there is no right or wrong way to do anything in this world. There's no right or wrong way. So there's a, a methodology, but the methodology in meditation, have you guys have seen, it's about creating a pleasant internal atmosphere. It's about creating a space in yourself that feels so nice that you want to stay there, that you want to be with yourself, that you want to just stop, that you want to sink in. How you create that space, however, is completely unique. So some people maybe need to play a little music to lead them into it. Some people need to sit at, you know, 8 o'clock at night when their work for the day is finished. Some people need to sit when they first wake up in the morning. Some people need to really set a schedule. Some people need to just sit when they feel like it. You know? So you have to really, for yourself, see what works for you. And also, there's different things one can do to, to help you learn different things, kind of trainings. So for instance, when I was in the monastery, we did have to sit every morning at 5 o'clock in the morning. So I learned what it feels like to get up every day and to go and sit whether you want to or not, whether you went to bed at one in the morning or, or, or 10, all day, um, not all day, all, all week, all year, what it feels like just to sit every day and to really have to, to go through that. And that teaches you a certain thing. It teaches you a certain kind of discipline. It teaches you how the mind is always changing, how you can't expect anything to happen. And just because you have a horrible sit one morning, maybe you have an amazing sit the next morning, and it, you never really know. And it also taught me that by doing something consistently, you get a lot of familiarization with it. So you start to be able to navigate it. You know what it is. Um, I just played a game of tennis with Shannon. and I played tennis a lot when I was a little kid. And I didn't play for you know maybe 20 years. And I just have started playing. I think this is the third game that I've played you know, yeah, in 20 years, so I just started playing again. And I could see that it, it takes a while for me to again become familiar with it, like how to, how to swing the racket, how to angle it, kind of how to aim it, that every time I'm playing, I'm getting a little bit better. It's making a little more sense. My brain kind of 
gets into that place easier, right? So meditation is the same, but each time you do it, it kind of becomes easier and it makes more sense. The thing for me was that after meditating every day so strict and regimented, I started to really hate meditation. I started to resent it because it was like this thing that I had to do every day. And when I left the monastery, I did not wake up by myself every morning at five to meditate. I was like, I'm so happy I don't have to do that anymore, right? So it taught me one thing, but it actually didn't teach me how to really appreciate the practice. And that was only later when I went to a different monastery where there's breakfast at five in the morning, there was lunch at 11, and that was it. There was nothing else. So the way that I describe it is that we were given enough rope to hang ourselves with. You pretty much just have the whole day to yourself in your little hut with nobody else around. It's up to you how you spend it. If you don't spend it wisely, you're going to go crazy. You're going to leave the monastery. So it really forced me to have to find a way to feel good in myself. And I went crazy a bunch, right? And I read a lot of books. I read 33 books in three months, right? Because I just had all this time, so I was just... I read a book every three days, you know, and I just had all this time and I didn't know what to do with it. And I started finding for myself the best time for me to meditate was actually just before lunch, about 10 o'clock, 10 to 11.30, and then also maybe from like 8 o'clock at night on. Those were for me what I found the best times, was just before lunch and after dinner. For me were the best times that I felt like my mind every day during those times was in like this place where it was like awake, ready, receptive, and I could go really deep. And in the other times, it wasn't doing anything to the fact that I just stopped. That I stopped trying to meditate when I first woke up. I stopped trying to meditate after lunch when you're tired from having to digest the food and everything. And the middle of the day also, the middle of the day, it's just this weird time in the biorhythm where your mind is anyway kind of like, it's when a lot of people drink another cup of coffee around 2 o'clock, right? Because you're just tired. So I really learned from myself how my body and my biorhythm went and then I used that. I was like, right before lunch, something started, like around 10 o'clock, something started to rise. And I used that wave to meditate. And then also at 8, I used that also, that energy of the day ending, of everything becoming silent. I think nighttime, naturally, people and things turn inwards. So I found that to just be a really helpful time to practice because I, I could just ride the wave, right? I didn't have to force anything or push. Um, so it all comes down to kind of individual practice and something this teacher, Achan Chah, said. He said, you know, his students came up to him and they said, sometimes you're saying, you know, to do this, but then the next day you'll say to do the exact opposite. And they're like, so how are we supposed to know what to do if you're just conflicting your messages? Maybe you're not really enlightened after all, you know, because you obviously your teachings don't make sense. And he said, imagine you're walking down a road and there's a blind person behind, in front of you. There's a blind person walking in front of you down the road. And when the blind person starts kind of veering to the left, you say to them, hey, go more to the right. And then as they start going more to the right, then they start getting too far and they say, hey, go back to the left. Would that blind person say to you, well, what is it, right or left? Of course not, because they understand that you're trying to keep them in the middle of the path to keep moving forward, right? So collectively, in our culture, we're often just too hard on ourselves. We're too uptight, we're too structured, we're too result-based, we're good at pushing ourselves, we're good at beating ourselves up about things. Yeah, we're good at, yeah, really just overall 
being hard on ourselves, stressing ourselves out. And so the, the message, the biggest message that a lot of Western meditation teachers are finding is that what we actually need to know more about is how to be kind to yourself, how to be soft, how to love yourself, how to relax, how to loosen up. And then the mind naturally kind of becomes happy and relaxed and centered. If you go to other countries, if you go to, uh, you know, if you went to Burma, you go to Tibet, you go to these countries where the people are maybe in their daily life a little bit more in touch with the land, a little bit more calm in how they do things a little bit more, then when you teach them, you'd have to teach them more about being disciplined, about doing this every day, about structuring yourself, because they already know how to relax and be just kind of chill all day long, but what they don't know is how to really push themselves. Right? So they're too far to the left. So when you teach in Asia, often teachings in Asia had a lot to do with structuring yourself and, and being more disciplined. But those teachings then came to the West, and they didn't realize that Westerners need something completely different than Asians in that sense, that we actually need the opposite. And now, actually, if you go to Asia, you see now that they, they actually now need these teachings again. Now they need to learn, again, how to be loving and, and kind to themselves. Yeah. Um, so it's all about methodology. So nothing that I've told you guys is true. And I think that's the most important thing to know, is that I'm not here to tell you what's true. I'm not here to tell you what's right and what's wrong and what's true. My only job is to try to guide your mind to a place that you make contact to the truth yourself. And I'll say things as if they're true. I'll say, this is how this works. This is what this is. This is what you need to do. But ultimately, you have to go that path, and you have to experience it, and then you know what it is. The Buddha said his teachings are like a raft for you to cross a river. But when you get to the other side of the river, you abandon the raft. You don't carry it on your back and keep walking with it. Yeah, so everything that I'm saying to you guys, it's just about methodology. That includes the way that I say things, the words that I'm using, the understandings I'm giving you. Yeah, these are all just to bring you to a certain place where you can make the experience for yourself. And then once you know where that place is, then you can keep returning there. If you were lost in the forest, I would give you a kind of some instructions. I'd say, yeah, you go left, you go right, you go there, and then you find a hut. And you go left, right, and, there, and then you find a hut. And you're like, oh, okay, I found a hut. But then you can walk anywhere in the forest and you know where that hut is. And then if you find other people in the forest, you can guide them to the hut. If I say to you, if I find you in the forest and I say, go one mile down the road and the hut will be on your right. And you go and you find the hut. And then the next day you go into the forest and you find somebody else who's lost. You're not going to tell them, go one mile down the road and take a right because they're in a different place than you were. You're going to have to tell them, well, first you're going to have to get out of this forest. You're going to have to find the road. And from where you are, you're actually going to have to turn right, and the hut's going to be on your left. So you would give them a different set of instructions than I gave you, but we're both leading them to the same place. Yeah? So the point of instructions is to bring your mind to a certain place. It's not about the instructions themselves. And this is another kind of hang-up that a lot of Western teachers have, is that they hear these teachings whether from the Buddha or from Tibetan masters or whoever, they hear these teachings and they think, ah, that's the truth. You actually hear this in all religions, but that people take these teachings and they say, this is the truth. And then they even fight each other about the truth. And even in Buddhism, there's a lot of different 
schools of Buddhism that fight against each other about, no, we have the real method, we have the truth, this is the right way, because our teacher was enlightened. Well, our teacher's enlightened too. Well, our teacher said to relax. Well, our teacher said to sit every day for four hours. Who's right? So they both fight against each other, yeah? And if you go, again, historically, a lot of religions, they kill people because, you know, well, our teacher said this, and you don't think that, so, you know, our truth has to become the truth. Right? But they're fighting over the raft. They're fighting over the finger pointing up to the moon, and they're not remembering that they're supposed to be looking at the moon. They're looking at a signpost, and they're fighting over that signpost, trying to make that signpost an absolute truth. Yeah? They also say it's like if somebody reads a bottle of medicine, they're not going to get better. Right? If you read the ingredients on the medicine bottle, you're not going to be cured. You have to take the medicine. So it's kind of the same thing, is that at the end of the day, all of these words are supposed to be guiding us towards practice. All these words, these teachings, are supposed to guide us to a place that we make those experiences ourselves, that we can find more peace, that we can let go a little bit more, we can drop some of our suffering. Yeah, um, yeah you were saying to me something about when you were meditating exactly what you said but yeah it was about you're thinking about things you have to do right Right. so you're sitting and oh I have to do this afterwards I have to do homework I have to you know and so the only way to really meditate is to let everything go and you know you sit here and you remember oh I have homework you have to let it go but then you're going to sit and say, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be meditating. You have to let that go, too. That whatever comes up, it's like, um, I almost said it, it's like if you're sitting here and suddenly you realize if you have a balloon in your hand and the balloon's like floating up, you have to just let the balloon go. And then you'll notice that there's a balloon in your other hand and you have to let that balloon go. And then suddenly there's a balloon in your other hand and you have to let it go. Because as soon as you let go of a thought, it just, dis- it just floats off by itself. You don't, have to, you don't have to get rid of a thought. You don't have to bring the mind back. If you just let go of whatever's in the mind, the mind's automatically back. So it's about just letting things go again and again and again and again. And each one of us is holding on to things in a different way. We each need different letting go instructions, so to say. We need to let go in different ways. We need to go through different processes to get there. And at the end of the day, all of the teachings also need to be let go. Because if you're sitting there and you're starting to get into peace, but then you remember, oh, Seth Monk said to feel the breath on the tip of the nose. So you're kind of really pushing yourself to feel the breath on the nose, even though everything inside of you is really just trying to say, like, just let go and drop into that peaceful state. You're actually going to be hurting yourself by holding on to the teachings. Yeah, which is a real thing. That you, at the end of the day, even have to let go of the teachings to Find your own truth to see what works for you and what makes sense. Um, before I came here today, I picked up a book of um, Aesop's fables, and I was like, I'm going to find a good fable that makes sense for meditation class. So I held the book, and I said, okay, you know, the first fable that I read is going to be the one that really hits the point home. I was like, okay, and I opened it up, and it said... Um, a, a baby cow, a calf, was walking, and he sees an oxen pulling a cart. And the 
calf starts making fun of the oxen, saying, ah, oh, you're pulling a cart all day, you stupid oxen, I'm free, I get to do whatever I want, I can go here, here, and here, and you're stuck, and, you know, what bad karma you have. And then, um, and then a little bit later in the day, the butcher came down, and he grabbed the calf and let him off to be slaughtered, and the oxen just watched him walk away, and he's like, you know, things are not always like they seem. Um, and then I thought about that, and I said, well, you know, I don't actually know how to bring that fable into like a good teaching. So I was like, okay, but the next fable. So I opened the next one. And it said that men used to work really hard and then they would kind of be taking from other men and taking from the land. And this happened so much that one of the gods, uh, Jupiter, said, you know, if you guys keep doing this, you're going to be punished. But the men still kept going and taking stuff and gathering it and storing it even though they didn't need it. So he eventually turned them all into ants. And even though they're ants, they're still doing that. They're still going into fields. They're still getting stuff. They're still gathering stuff. They don't need it. Just this, this habitual energy keeps running and running and running. And I thought about that, and I was like, well, it's kind of an anticlimactic story. I guess it makes sense a little bit. But still not really happy, so I opened up to a third fable. And this said that an old man was sitting with his three sons, and he was trying to teach them about family and about togetherness, about why it's important to, to stick together. And one day he, each, he gave each of his sons a stick and he said, you know, break the stick. And the son broke the stick. And then he gave them a bundle and he said, now try to break the bundle. And they tried and they couldn't break it. And he said, exactly, this is why family is so important. He said, because when you're all together, it can't break. And this one I thought about and I said, you know, I think I can run with that. And I thought, because in our practice, what we're doing here is we're not only sitting to meditate, but we're really trying to transform our lives in a deeper way. Yeah. Nobody really comes to meditate to, like, learn this thing called meditation the same way you would learn to play tennis, right? Or you'd learn to paint. It's not like you do it because it's like, oh, like, here's, like, a nice little new thing to do. People usually come to meditation because they feel that they really need something, or they're even desperate to find some kind of an answer, some kind of peace. Yeah, it's like a real drive often that leads people to this practice. And what I found for myself, and I say again from experience, is that, you know, I lead a lot of meditation classes and I meditate, but for a while my life was also kind of all over the place. And I was traveling and I came home, I was living with my parents, and so I was, my life situation was not really so conducive to really feeling peaceful. I did my best to kind of negotiate, but there was also just the reality that it was, it was really hard. And now, right now, it's the first time in my life that I have, that I'm, you know, paying for a, a place of my own, so to say, that I can kind of say a little bit how it runs. And I've noticed that, like, I've started doing a, a morning practice that feels good. I have, like, a balcony, and I sit on the balcony, and I do mantras, and you know, in the, and then with the trees there and stuff. So it's nice just to sit there. So I found this really nice thing that I like doing. It feels good in the morning to sit and to be outside and to see the birds and to just chant mantras and then eventually kind of just to drop into the peace. And I found this thing that it's kind of this very loose-looking structure, but because it feels nice, I keep doing it. And then, you know, all the food is organic and then so making this really nice meals and then I just got a membership to the Y. So I'm, and I've kind of seen for myself that I'm kind of slowly starting to assemble, bring together a life that makes sense for me. 
kind of piece by piece. I wasn't ready before. When I was living at my parents' house, like upstairs, you know, I wasn't really able to bring all these aspects in. Just energetically, it wasn't working. It didn't make sense. But as I shifted my life situation, I'm slowly able to start bringing in elements that feel good, to start bringing in like, okay, a little more exercise, now a little meditation, now eating healthier, I put some crystals in the water filter, you know, slowly doing things piece by piece, building up this life that feels really nice. And that even if I don't meditate one morning, that's okay because I have all this other stuff to fall back on that still makes me feel like I'm on the right track. And then maybe if I, you know, don't eat nice organic home-cooked meal, but I, you know, go out for burgers and beers with my friend, you know, I still come back to this space that's very embracing and kind of sets me back up on the right track. So creating this life for yourself that there's many different elements that are all supportive to you is really, I, I would say, the only way forward for, for people um, because it's just easy to fall back. It's easy to go in a direction that's not helpful, that's harmful for us. You know, being a monk, there was a reason that we had all these rules, that we had robes and shaved heads, and we had to live in a certain way, eat in a certain way, and do things a certain way. Because it was really created this form that streamlined this process. You know, and if you're just kind of living a daily life and going out and doing whatever with people, it's, it's kind of hard to, to stay... <coughs> in your center, to stay in your power, to stay in your priorities, to stick with the things that really matter to you. Um, but when you've kind of slowly built up a life for yourself, you're, you're creating an energetic framework and an energetic ground for yourself to stand on, for yourself to grow in. And I think this is maybe one of the most important things just as far as moving forward, right? Because the last class that if you are just trying to meditate every morning, right, for instance, or you want to maybe after this class meditate more often. Um, if you don't change anything else in your life, maybe that will work, <coughs> maybe that will stick, but more often than not, you're going to get like the New Year's resolution kind of thing, where you're like, I'm going to go to the gym now every day, for, you know, you make a New Year's resolution and then it works for like a week and then you stop doing it. So, if you want to bring this practice more into your life and you want to kind of do this with more continuity, um, definitely try it. Just try bringing it in and see if it works. I, for myself, for instance, feel like it's really important to create a little space specifically for practicing in your home. Uh, when I was in college, I made a little corner of my bedroom. I bought a piece of carpet at Home Depot and put it there and a little cushion, a little Buddha statue. I made myself just a little corner like this big, but I knew that that was my place to sit that I had a place, now I have it on the balcony. And I've seen for myself that unless I have a specifically design, designated place to sit, I, I can't do it with any kind of regularity. But once I've created that for myself, I can. Yeah. And again, furthermore, you want to then also, for instance, meditating every day for me was difficult, but what would be easy was buying organic food when I go shopping. So only buying things that say organic. So I was like, okay, so I can't meditate yet every day, but this is something that I can do, right? That's within my capacity. So I started buying organic food, and I was like, okay, you know, that feels good. And then 
I started kind of, well, I can't necessarily meditate every day still, but I can sit on the balcony and just be in nature every morning. That feels nice with like a warm cup of lemon water. So I started doing that. And then because I'm like on the balcony, you know, then I can kind of start meditating. And then because I had that stuff down, then I got a membership to the gym, which is for me one of the hardest things to do is to like motivate myself to do like exercise, you know, just riding a bike or something like that. For some reason, it's really hard for me. That's like one of my difficulties is like just going to the gym. But because I've created this framework of other stuff, I was able then, I had the energy to then start working out and it <coughs> felt good. So sometimes if you have a goal that you're trying to get to, maybe you can't get to that goal directly. Maybe you can't change that habit directly. Maybe you need to start bringing in new elements. Maybe you need to start with where you are. Start with what's possible for me right now. What's the next, what's, here's my life. I can't do anything over here. I, this, I could, but it's too much. I push myself, but it doesn't work, and I keep trying and failing. It doesn't work. This. So you kind of look around your life and it's like, well, what little thing could I tweak where to just add a little more consciousness to the way that I live, to add a little more spirituality to my daily life? Um, change the book I read, have angel cards out that I pick one or read something every day for an impulse. Um, right, put crystals in my water bottle. Uh, whatever it is, right, listen to meditative music every night before I go to bed. You know, what realistic thing can you do? Yeah, so if it's hard for you to meditate every day, then don't try to, then be easy on yourself. But then also look, but what can I do every day that also feels good and that's easy for me? You know, and I would say that if you approach it this way, it becomes much more manageable and you start to build up uh, a momentum and inertia for yourself. That, you know, the big thing that you couldn't move yet, you'll start building up little things, but eventually then you start building up an energy and that energy will allow you to shift the bigger stuff. And it kind of keeps growing like that. So it's really important to start where you are in terms of transforming your life, to start where you are, start with what's possible, and kind of move out from there. Yeah, so if you leave this class today and you want to kind of keep meditating but it's not really working, well, just look for what is something that I can do differently, that I can do regularly, whatever that could be. Yeah? Just find something that feels good, that feels healthy and start from there, and then see if you can kind of slowly build. So I guess that's my like moving forward advice from here. Yeah. Okay. So I think because this is the last class and we are all now like expert meditators, um, I'd like to use the rest of the class to practice, to really kind of go in, go Go as deep as you can. And that also might mean pushing yourself until you realize it's not working and then giving up. And then maybe really getting a good meditation. Yeah. So it's about 20 minutes. 25 minutes. Yeah, and so I invite everyone to get into a comfortable position. If you need to stretch out for a couple seconds first, even if you need to like stand up and stretch or shake out, you can, it's fine. We'll start in a minute or two. 